Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They say that an autonomous weapon has to have intention and awareness, and they don't think these are very likely to happen. And I agree with them. That was the voice of Emeritus Professor of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics at the University of Sheffield, Noel Sharkey, who some of you will, I'm sure, know as one of the judges on the BBC's Robot Wars. He'll be joining us later to talk about killer robots. Uh, You're listening to Text Message, of course, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Not Emeritus Professor of anything, unfortunately. Not yet, but a given time, ladies and (laughs) gentlemen, because uh, he will Emeritus and he will profess. (laughs) Uh, And the show is brought to you by you. Uh, Thanks awfully uh, to our patrons. Not quite sure why I slipped into uh, old British there. Uh, Supporting us each week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you are one of our beautiful patrons, and trust me, I think you're all beautiful, this is your extended cut of this week's show. If you're not yet a patron but would love to be one and get our extended cut, our weekly columns and, and a lot more, head to patreon.com slash UK tech uh, to find out how you can support us for as little as one US dollar per episode. Uh, and thanks to Paul Burford, who's this week's newest patron. Uh, very glad to have you on the team, Paul. Um, and I hope you enjoy this week's extended show. Now, we did do, a, had a couple of columns uh, out actually on the Patreon this week because um, my my lapse in being on time with them because of my wedding uh, needed to be caught up on so we had two this week uh, one was a review of apple's airpods which i've been meaning to um write for quite some time because i've been using them for ages uh, and i've been a little bit surprised at how much i liked them considering i basically mocked them when they came out um, so that's up on the patreon for the uh for some uh, of our patrons as well as a clip in 360 degrees of my wedding because of course i filmed my wedding ceremony in 360 degrees with the uh, Samsung Gear 360, the new one. So there's a clip of that up as well as a, a bit of a blog about what uh, what the process was, how it worked, and uh, and obviously my feelings on the device. Uh, Richard Taylor, one of our patrons, said many congrats on the wedding. He said it was amazing to see how 360 degree cameras have progressed from grainy to incredible 4K quality in such a short space of time. I would agree, Richard, although I would say there's still a lot of room for improvement, but it's good. It's good. You know they've got a new one of that version of that camera coming out. I wrote about it in the week and I was thinking about you. Yes, I saw it and I thought about you because uh, <laughs> your, your name was in the byline. Um, <laughs> But yeah, maybe you, maybe maybe we should do a follow up and uh, and do another one. But I mean, this yeah. one only came well, out this year. Another wedding. Yes, yes. I mean, we're both <laughs> married now, so it'll have to be somebody else's. Well, um, I'm sure we can find someone getting married. I'm told it's a reasonably popular thing to do. Yeah. Are you getting married? Would you like Ian to attend? <laughs> Email podcast at natelangson.com. Uh, and before we dump, jump into the news, there's been a, a huge amount of uh, preamble this week, but we've had a lot to talk about. Um, I wanted to thank a guy called Chris Ellis at ergohacks.com who posted a very positive review of our show. Uh, and I thought it was spot on in assessing what we try and do here in terms of a UK focus. You can give it a read at ergohacks.com, E-R-G-O hacks.com forward slash 
slash text hyphen message. So thank you again to Chris for that. Now, interestingly, Ian, would you like to know how yeah. I discovered that review? No. How did you discover it? My mother was Googling the show and found it and emailed it to me. That's brilliant. Isn't Your mother that... is literally yeah. our biggest fan. Uh, well, well, no, Chris Ellis is the biggest fan because he uh, spent several uh, paragraphs reviewing us. But well, yeah, uh, and, and it's a really she, lovely review as well, actually. Yeah, it's um, it's great. So thank you to Chris and uh, and and my mum Alison for uh, <laughs> constantly googling my name, <laughs> like an obsessive mother, Something which like they that. all are. They are. Well, where would we be without obsessive mothers? That's quite right. Now, uh, we're going to get into the news now. We're not going to talk about the iPhone X this week uh, that came out. Blah, blah, blah. Long queues. Blah, blah, blah. Biggest release ever. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Because although we've got one, uh, it's really pointless talking about it at this point. And you really don't want to hear us talk about how long iPhone queues were. Uh, So we're going to come (laughs) to that next week and we'll talk about it then. So if you've got any questions about the iPhone X for me or for Ian, um, send them in. Podcast at NateLangson.com. And if you've got one yourself and would like us to hear your thoughts... Send those in, in anticipation of next week's uh, inevitable discussion on that product. Now, Ian, news. It's time to jump headfirst into the news pool and swim. Uh, I've lost... <laughs> you didn't think that one through at all, did you? <laughs> I've slightly lost grip on that, uh, that analogy. <laughs> but mobile network EE uh, said it's been surprised by the numbers of customers taking out contracts to use the Apple Watch on its network. Now, I know this uh, because I wrote this. Uh, it was a little scoop that I wrote up this week for Bloomberg, actually, after I bumped into the company's CEO, Mark Alera. Now, he told me that the company expected the Apple Watch Series 3 to be popular, but that it has exceeded the network's expectations. Specifically, he said, we haven't released any numbers, but it's been really strong, both for existing customers and those joining EE. Now, in- more interestingly, still perhaps, uh, he said he believed this would be the part, uh, the start of a trend. He expected more devices like the Apple Watch i.e. those that share a single mobile number across multiple gadgets to join the network. Now, this doesn't surprise me because the reason EE is able to support the Apple Watch is because it did a bunch of upgrades to its back-end network in order to support this kind of multi-device single number system. But Ian, what do you reckon might be the next device? Like, who's going to be the next one if he's expecting them? Surely... Well. So this is the thing, isn't it, right? So remember when the original iPhone came out and Apple said, we're going to do this thing called Edge because it's one way to use a not, to get a little bit of extra speed out of 2G networks. And everyone was like, oh, you know, that we just, just wait for 3G. Well, in fact, we already had 3G by the time the iPhone came out, didn't we? Um, but it did inspire, like, you know, it, that was a whole network infrastructure, basically, that probably wouldn't have kicked off quite so massively if it hadn't been for Apple. Now, you know, I think no one is going to delude themselves into thinking that Edge was a particularly good thing. It, it would have been much better if the original iPhone had been 3G. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of technical reasons. So... I don't. It's interesting that a watch would inspire that, but I'm also I'm also quite interested by the fact that EE is kind of cool with it because essentially it's, it is. I mean, supposedly they are going to be making quite a lot of money out of it, but the idea is that if we can put a lot of devices on one tariff, will they be making less money than they would be if we were putting each device on a separate contract? What do you think about that? 
Well, it's a way, I suppose it's a way of upselling, isn't it? And and it's also a little bit of a way perhaps of locking you into a, in, into a contract because if you've got an iPhone, an Apple Watch, and let's say, you know, down the line, your car also shares a phone number and mm. maybe a, a fitness device or a, or a laptop perhaps or a, a tablet computer more realistically. You know, if you've got all of those all tied onto one phone number, onto one network, it's gonna be a hell of a lot harder for you to leave that network. And I think that's probably one of the incentives. Yeah, that's true. And that's a really good point, actually. I hadn't really considered that as a as, as a thing because, um, you know, I suppose it's it, there, people are fundamentally quite resistant to change, especially if that change comes at, uh, you know, a time cost to them. There's a reason that I don't hop around mobile networks all the time. It's it's not so much that I'm in, you know, enamored with three, although I do like some aspects of it. But it's a it's a kind of a hassle, isn't it? And I can yes. I can see the idea that if people were allowed to have their devices on, you know, lots of devices on one contract, it's simpler. It's probably going to be a bit more cost effective. The only thing I would say is that the, there's a reason, and I, I've so kind of got this from you in a way, because when I got the iPad, I was like, well, I would like a, um, a contract that's not three. So that if anything happens to three, I can carry on using my iPhone uh, or, you know, my, my, my tablet without having to worry about the data of my being the same as the one on my phone. Yeah. Uh, that's worked out quite well. Um, and it means that if I get myself into a, 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 you know, a place where there's one or the other, I've got, I can switch them around so that I can still use the device. So it's quite good. So, um, perhaps people will continue to use their devices like that, or perhaps they will just lump them on one, uh, you know, provider, but, uh, it's interesting. It is. And I think that um, the fact that the Apple Watch has been popular for the network uh, as a layer... I'm not surprised by that, though. I, 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 does, I mean, I, can, I suppose it's slightly surprising that people are bothering to connect it to 4G, but I'm not surprised at the popularity of the watch. And I, I guess it kind of gives you a way to get hold of one. If you put it on a contract, you can get it a bit cheaper, right? You don't have to spend as much up front. Yeah, it, well, yeah, I mean, there's two ways. You can add it to an existing plan for about five quid a month or something, or you can take out an entirely new contract and pay, I think it's £30 up front for the watch and then £25 a month for two years. And But again, you still need an existing, or at least you need to have to be signing up for an EE contract with that. So there, there's two ways of, of getting into it. Either way, they're both quite expensive, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, and they are. And I, I mean, that is... a that is sort of a problem, right? Because like they, they still are expensive. Well, no, it's especially... not, is it? Because if it was a problem, they wouldn't have had so many signups. Well, like, no, I, I suppose. It's... But, I'm, I, you know, there is always the kind of vague concern that people do things without, like, you know, weighing up the cost. I, I, am a, I was raised in such a way that I think that there is a real merit to buying things. Like, you, you think about, what, you know, whether you've got enough money in the bank to buy something, and then if you have, you buy it. Now in today's culture that is very unfashionable people will be i mean i my dad would never consider buying a car in the way that modern people buy cars they just go and buy a new car and they you know and they get and they get it on on tick as it were and they pay it monthly you know that would that's that's such a new thing um that people just don't wait for stuff anymore that's a really great story grandpa um (laughs) well Tune First in of next all, he week. He is a grandpa, and second of all, to hell with you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding. Uh, I just like using that quote because no, you're it's absolutely funny. You're, you're right. It is funny, or rather, it was funny, and it will be funny if I use it again. Um, <laughs> now, uh, just moving on from this topic, one of the other interesting little factoids that um, the EE CEO told me this year, um, he said that one of the biggest. Um, 
sort of multiple what am i trying to say here <laughs> we'll try again he uh, he was telling me how much data usage had increased over the last four years and he used an example that at glastonbury the music festival that that is not the town that the festival is held in has seen a 54 fold increase in the amount of data being used by fans at the festival over the last four years so they you know this year they were using 54 times more data than in 2013 yeah. which to me is just you know staggering but is, is that really a surprise though given the way that you know people like me insist on backing up their photos to three different cloud services at the same time and you know stuff like that it's not surprising that it's 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 so much higher it's just it's just interesting to see a figure attached to it you know a 54 yeah. fold increase um he actually also said that one of the biggest spikes they had um was when the brexit vote was announced he said it was tons of people from glastonbury all checking the news and watching videos about the vote he said that uh, caused a gigantic spike um anyway that story is on uh, bloomberg.com if you want to read uh, the rest of my piece search for apple watch strong demand i think you'll find it um and let us know if you have any thoughts on it podcast at natelangson.com Well, staying on the topic of mobile technology this week, uh, Vodafone has announced something deeply concerning to me, Mm. uh, and not because I'm a Vodafone customer and it affects me, um, but it said it will start offering paid zero rating packages called passes. Now, in short, this lets subscribers pay an additional fee every month to remove services like WhatsApp, uh, Netflix, Amazon's video service, YouTube, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and a bunch more from counting against their bundled data allowance. The idea being, that if you only have, say, a two gig monthly data allowance on your new iPhone 10, which we talked about last week, uh, you could pay seven pounds a month extra to stream as much Netflix as you want. Gigabytes and gigabytes. It will never, ever affect your two gig cap. Now, the reason this worries me enormously, and I'm sure Ian may agree here, is that it directly violates so-called net neutrality, i.e. that all data traffic should be treated equally. It's a problem because it incentivizes the use of one platform or service over another i.e you know why would you sign up for apple music or google's music streaming service for example if you knew you could sign up for spotify and have it not count against your data cap or why use sky's tv streaming service when you have all you can eat access to netflix ian before i carry on with this jump in here what do you what do you make of this obviously you can tell i'm vehemently opposed to it um because of the kind of precedent it it could set in the market here but uh, but i'm keen on your take no, I mean, I, I, I fundamentally, whilst the, 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 for me, it's interesting. This is one of the most insidious debates um, you can have about data because it's very, very hard to explain to people why it's such a bad idea. Um, but again, it's another one of these things. If you as soon as you start going down a road, you, you generate a problem. As soon as you decide to call a vote on the uh, Britain's membership of the EU, you've then immediately embarked on a, on a journey that cannot easily be stopped, no matter what the outcome of it is it will forever have an impact on the way that people live their lives. And, you know, whilst it seems harmless enough to include, you know, certain services, and and 3 does this with Netflix, apparently you can watch as much Netflix on your 3 phone as you want uh, without without it counting as data, um, or, you know, without uh, going against your allocation. Um, Now, I've got unlimited data, so I've never had a problem with that. But even so... Then you're like, like you said, you, you think, well, OK, so Netflix, I can watch that. So I, I, I won't watch any Amazon or whatever and or I won't watch any iPlayer. And yeah, you know, you're right. It becomes it becomes an issue, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it um, does. And, and you're right. Three, I think three uh, earlier this year was the first. To, yeah, to and I would, I, I, and like you, I kind of think that we need to get on this now and stop it because if we allow it to continue down this route, then it's going to be you're going to go to Vodafone and they're going to go right. Here's your Vodafone tariff. That's twenty pounds a month. Uh, we can add in Netflix and WhatsApp, and you know, for, and they're five quid a month each. And before you know it, to to actually use a service properly, you, you know, you're having to pay a lot of extra stuff, and and, and smaller providers are shut out of the market. Um, without us even and, and, and we may not even notice it because it's one of these things it would be like you know how many startups would just not start if um if they thought they would never be able to compete with netflix on data for all the networks or you know all the mobile networks and so it's a real problem right and it, and it, we do need to be aware of it and again if we if we don't do something about it now very soon it's going to be too late well, one of the interesting technicalities to all this is is precisely how stuff is is zero rated. It's quite easy to do for something like Netflix because the data is coming from a centralized server, admittedly. Except it's well, it's not though, is it with Netflix? Because Netflix well, has they have peering agreements. With they like, do, but they also have yeah, they, they and they, that's true. But they also have like um, I've you can see the list of servers and stuff like that. It's, it's a little bit more complicated. I'm sure that it's not something that would defeat. Uh, Vodafone. No, but the point um, is, is that it's not peer to peer, which no. which some zero rated, uh, some aspects of some of these zero rated services are. The key one for me, I think, is is WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger because they use peer to peer connections for doing. Does, does WhatsApp video. use? Oh, right, for video. Yeah, for, okay. for, for video, specifically. Now, if you remember, a few months ago, we talked about Virgin Media zero rating WhatsApp, and I got in touch with them to ask how they were doing this, and they actually said that video was excluded from the zero rating package, as is, in fact, um, live video streaming on Twitter, which Virgin Media, also, Virgin Mobile also zero rates. Um, and they, they, they said to me at the time that the reason is because because it's peer-to-peer, because there's not a, a, a point that they can identify and say, okay, this can, this is a connection that we are zero rating. It's it's to a user and from a user, so they can't zero rate it or at mm. least don't really want to try. Now, I've emailed Vodafone to find out um, whether there is a similar exclusion on, on WhatsApp. And if there isn't, i.e. if you can do unlimited video calling through WhatsApp, then how are they able to um, to, to know that it's it's WhatsApp? I'm I'm curious about uh, uh, about that. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. Again, it's it, I, mean, I suppose it's okay if it's the, you know server connection to server connection, but like you say, if yeah. it's peer to peer video, it's much harder. Right? It's harder. So I'm looking forward to hearing back from them, and uh, obviously we'll get back to that on next week next week's show. Uh, now to just move the story forward a little bit. Last year, the um, wonderfully titled Body of European Regulators for Electronic Communications, or BEREC for short, which is what I'm going to be calling it, and, uh, and this is a group that represents the EU's communication regulators, it published guidelines on how ISPs should treat net neutrality. Now, this followed the creation of new rules the year earlier in, in 2015. And in short, it aims to curb any throttling or discrimination between internet services. Specifically, Berek said, common rules on net neutrality mean that internet access providers cannot pick winners or losers on the internet or decide which content and services are available. And it says the blocking or slowing of some apps, but not others, breaches its rules. Now, obviously, this is an EU rule, which we may very well be exempt from post-Brexit. It um, probably won't be, though, in fact, well, exactly. because I think they're going to sign us up for all of this stuff anyway. So, so. We'll, we'll probably adopt a lot of these laws. And so it's. I'm curious how this would affect 
this sort of zero well, rating. Vodafone would say it's not the same thing, right? They're not slowing anyone else down. They're just um, making it cheaper to use certain services. I think the fact that it discriminates between services and provides, you know, uh, it, it effectively incentivizes or de-incentivizes yeah. one versus another. Mean yeah, it may because... fall flat. And bear in mind, this isn't law. So they can breach these rules and they won't necessarily get in trouble. It just, but it, but it does mean they're violating this kind of these guidelines um, yeah. so I'm going to look into this I'm going to try and talk to Vodafone I'm going to try and find out more information about this um, certainly at the moment it seems that it's it's fine to do I'm sure Virgin uh, Vodafone wouldn't be doing it if it was uh, you know against any kind of law but but in terms of how this plays out over the next few years how it affects net neutrality I think that's a debate that needs to be had uh, and I'm going to try and have it and I'm going to try and record it so uh, look forward to that but let us know any thoughts in the meantime you have on the topic podcast at natelangson.com now Ian on your Forbes um site today uh, mm. to this week uh, you also you, you've written about the google pixel um specifically yeah, is... <laughs> some people have been getting them without operating systems uh, <laughs> many lols many lols do you want to talk about this briefly yeah I, I i could only really find two examples online of people who, who it ha- had happened to um but all of the people were people who had bought a new pixel 2 xl uh, which is made by LG for Google. Uh, the smaller model is made by HTC, as I'm sure many people know. Um, it, what's happened is basically um, these phones have got to the end of the manufacturing process. Uh, obviously, they're all finished in terms of hardware, uh, but they just haven't had their operating system flashed on them. Um, it's usually it's called ROM by many people. Um but it kind of leaves you in a difficult position because when they send you a phone without it, in theory, if your bootloader was unlocked, which is the thing that um, controls whether or not you're able to put your own custom OS on a phone, uh, you could, in theory, put Android on yourself. Um, but a lot of people were reporting that you can only do that if you're able to get into the phone initially, unlock the bootloader yourself, and then reboot it, and then you're able to flash the ROM. But anyway ultimately i think a lot of people who were getting devices in this state would be concerned enough about the quality assurance process that they would probably feel like it would be a phone to return because if it's not got an operating system on you wonder how other men how many other checks that it is supposed to have gone through that perhaps it didn't um so it's quite alarming uh google um was really odd about it i wrote the story and then they and then the one of the uk prs emailed me straight away and went can you just say it's fixed and i said sure you know have you got a statement or a, you know a couple of lines about the the issue um and they wrote back with uh no but it's fixed and that was all i could get out of them you know, that's no, ridiculous well it is it is kind of ridiculous isn't it i mean I, it was very late at night i wrote it late because obviously I, forbes is largely targeted at uh, you know the u.s audience so i tend to write stuff a bit later because obviously that's when they're around um so it was about midnight by the time i published the story here uh, and it was a uk press office but even so i was i was kind of like well you know, I, I i i appreciate that accidents happen but this is not the first problem the pixel xl has had there have been reports of um the screen flashing um the screen getting uh image burn there have been problems people have reported that the color accuracy is very bad it has a blue tint um <clears throat> it's and also apparently recording audio along with uh 
4K video has been causing some people problems. Now, some of these are issues that can be easily fixed with a firmware update uh, or an Android update. Um, <clears throat> a lot of them might be uh, more uh, problematic or they might be something to do with the fact that people are not used to how Google's implemented the OLED screen that it, it gets from LG. Uh, but even so, the whole Pixel 2 XL thing has been a real problem, right? And I remember when we joined CNET, you'll, you'll remember uh, having, having the similar conversations. Um, but, you know, Mary Loshkin used to say to us, look, people are going to make purchasing decisions based on what you write. Uh, you've got to think about whether or not someone's going to be a thousand quid poorer as a result of something you've told them to do. Um, and if you if you remember that when you're writing stuff you will ultimately serve the people reading you a lot better. And the Pixel 2 XL is not a particularly cheap phone. Um, and, I, and I'm and i kind of concerned about a lot of, a lot of his problems with it. And I don't think Google has responded to them at all well. And I'm also, I'm also very much of the opinion that Google now is treated a little bit like Apple was back 10 years ago, where there's a certain core of the audience that will just go and endlessly defend google for no no matter what even though some of the stuff they do is not cool yeah you're absolutely right I mean, and, and you you'll have experienced it because if you write something negative about apple now it's pretty much i mean people tend to kind of like it and i've gone the other way but if you write something negative about google it's like it used to be it you know you'll get a lot of hassle for it yeah, the fans, the fanboys are, have always been quite strong with Android in particular, I think, you know, maybe less so for other Google services, but Android fans, iPhone fans, and weirdly yeah. Opera web browser fans um, have always <laughs> historically been um, oh, been God. some of the most... Uh, <laughs> you do not want to fall foul of those Opera fans, my God. Uh, well, I mean, I still remember, if you remember, many, many yeah. years ago, I wrote an article that I stand by to this day that Opera should stop making desktop browsers and just focus yeah. on mobile. I still think that, but at the time and this was probably about 2007 um i mean i had at least one person saying that i should hurl myself off cnet's building yeah. for writing something so stupid um well here i am still here over 10 years later having not hurled myself off any building <laughs> and i still think that opera should focus on mobile browsers the, well, the way people conduct themselves online really is staggering isn't it it's very bizarre uh, but if you would like to conduct yourself uh, online in a manner to which we should all aspire to you can do so on ian's forbes page uh, the, <laughs> the link to, <laughs> the link to which will appear in this episode's show notes at techpodcast.uk go easy on him people <laughs> or you can just come to my house and hit me in the face if you want the address is it's time for a special feature ladies and gentlemen uh, one evening this week i met up with noel sharkey who is the emeritus professor of artificial intelligence and robotics at the University of Sheffield. That's where I was born, in fact. Uh, in Sheffield, that is. Well, in the university, yeah. Not in the university, no. Uh, but Noel, he's one of the judges on BBC's Robot Wars, and as one might expect, is a fascinating individual. He chairs the International Committee for Robot Arms Control and believes strongly that the UK's, and indeed the world's, approach to autonomous lethal weapon systems pose a much more serious threat to civilization than perhaps we're currently acknowledging. So I wanted to talk to him about this, uh, and I started by asking him to give us an overview of what such killer robots are. Well, there are a lot of developments around the world, but nothing has been deployed yet. In the United States, they have submarines, fighter jets, 
flotillas of ships, swarms of little planes and um, big ships as well, all and tanks, ground vehicles. Um, so that's that's being they're the sort of leaders in the field. But then you've got Russia with with tank development, of course, because Russians like a lot of tanks. China with air-to-air combat systems, and Israel co- copying all the things that America does. So it's happening pretty quickly, uh, right under the radar. And I know you're quite a vocal um, opponent of, uh, of a lot of what is being developed. So I'm curious to know what you think needs to be done to just to protect us all, essentially. What, what needs to be put in place? Well, at the moment, the, the problem is that these things can't determine the difference between civilians and non-civilians. And we're really worried that they'll spread widely, which they're beginning to do. And people say, well, if they're not according to the laws of war, they won't be used. But th- we all know that's nonsense. That, that can shift, the norms shift. So what we're trying to do now at the UN for the last four years is trying to get an absolute ban on these systems. So the big issue is not about the autonomy as such. It's about the whole issue of human control, keeping humans in control of the technology. So there's always a human there who can determine the legitimacy of a target. Is this a right target or not? And properly. And that's what we're fighting for at the UN, and we're trying to get the law changed. Where does the UK fit into all this? Are we are we ahead of the curve? Are we behind the curve? Are we playing copycat as well? Like, what are we doing here? Well, I'm a UK citizen, and it's very unfortunate for me that the UK has been embarrassing me. They have come up with a really stupid definition of autonomous weapons that's out of step with every other country on the planet. They say that an autonomous weapon has to have intention and awareness, and they don't think these are very likely to happen. And I agree with them. But, but that, then that lets them say, well, we're not developing them while they are, because we have BAE Systems de- has developed the Mantis, which is a fully autonomous fighter jet, and BAE Systems at the moment are right working on autonomous tanks called the Ironclad. And they say all the time, we'll ensure there's human oversight, but if you press them on what that means, because it could mean just vetoing something, they, you don't get an answer from the Ministry of Defence. It's just not good. And is there anything that, that a sort of a concerned member of the public could actually do in terms of either raising awareness or, or trying to make a difference in, in promoting you know, the, the cause that you support? Well, they could go to the Stop Killer Robots website, read some information about it, and write to their MP saying, I don't like this, I don't like Britain being involved in this, because Britain, as I said, keeps saying, we're not going to use these, but here's the illogical thing, here's the statement, we're not going to use these, and therefore, we're not going to support a ban. And that makes no logical sense to me at all. They've been saying that over and over again in a mantra for five or six years. This is our Ministry of Defence. Because if you're not going to use them, you'd think you wouldn't want other people to use them. So it's absolutely ridiculous. And what would you say is the the biggest misconception that that you hear from either uh, the public or or people um, speaking to the public about this kind of technology? Well, it's the killer robot business, and we call it the campaign to stop killer robots, to catch the eye. But every time there's an article about it, you always see the Terminator in there. And these are not smart, highly intelligent systems. These are computer-controlled weapons that are being unleashed. So the biggest problem for me is the sci-fi trope. And I love all those killer robot movies, but they have nothing to do with this. Um, And finally, you know, one of the things that intrigues me about about technology in general but also robotics um, is just it's kind of the trickle down effect of new technology I think this has been evident in fact on um, the show a lot of people will know you from BBC's uh, Robot Wars in that the 
technology that some of those robots are using in recent years is far more advanced and sophisticated than in previous years. And so I'm curious whether down the line we'll see a similar trickle-down effect of you know, I, I want to say autonomous lethal weapons. I'm aware of the connotations there, but could people eventually be starting to make this sort of thing at home? And is that going to be a problem? Um, well, you could make them at home now. You can buy all this stuff off the shelf. But in terms of a robot wars competition, I had students make up some years ago, make up autonomous robots that would fight with each other. And to be honest, it was what, like watching paint dry. I mean, in a show like this, what people want to see is the struggle of the competitors, the triumph, the families, you know, the tears and the, ah, oh, damn it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, that's what they really like. But I would really like, to, what I'd love to see in Robot Wars, if some people would just make them, is man against machine, person against machine. You know, so that you've got a, a, an autonomous one and you've got a machine against it, because I, I think it would be slaughtered. Politician in one corner, robot in the other. Sounds like fantastic television. <laughs> That's good too. <laughs> Noel Sharkey there, Emeritus Professor of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics at the University of Sheffield. Do check out his website for more information, of course. Uh, You can find a link to that in this episode's show notes at techpodcast.uk. Well, take note, vinyl fans, Sainsbury's has today spun into life its very own record label, uh, specifically one that produces vinyl, according to Engadget. The supermarket is going to stock two vinyl compilation albums to begin with from its own, quote, own label imprint to be available at 165, sorry, 168 of its stores. Uh, For those listening outside of the UK, Sainsbury's is the second biggest supermarket chain in the UK, smaller only than Tesco. Now, the compilations, according to a BBC story, combine tracks like Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which, side note, was the very first album ever released on Virgin Records, and Al Stewart's Year of the Cat. Never heard of it, but I love cats, and having a year (laughs) of one sounds blissful, uh, as well as a cover of the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses by the Flying Burrito Brothers. Now, fans apparently spent, uh, well, bought three million vinyl records uh, in 2016, the highest number in 25 years, and this year alone, those numbers are up 30% already. So I just want to be shot in the face, honestly. <laughs> I just, what is going on? Well, it's, 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 it's tangible, mate. We're living it's, in this, it, everything is rented. Nothing is real. Nothing exists anymore, but a vinyl everything, record. Everything exists. Everything exists. Yes, vinyl demand. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, I like... Vinyl was never any good, right? It was, no, it was, it was, it was at one point, if, yeah, at one point, it was the only conceivable way to make a muse to sell music. And during that era, it was great. It was the bee's knees. And yeah, sure, I will, I will give you this. In, in certain circumstances, it holds up well to this day. However, as a format, it is just cack. I just despise everything about it. It is complete junk. As one might expect, I take the opposite view in that uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful representation of uh, of audio quality and is the last bastion of um, 
analog. No, get a tape. Tape, mate. Honestly, I swear to God, if you're buying if you're buying vinyl because it sounds good, you should get yourself on that reel to reel train because that's where the quality is. That stuff is awesome. That would be lovely. Uh, I mean, there are still a few places that are releasing cassettes in particular. That is to say, mostly in the uh, underground black metal scene. There's still quite <laughs> the. Uh, but I'm not. T- well, actually. Have you heard of a guy called um, Techmoan? He's got a YouTube channel. No, it sounds exactly like one of your aliases. Well, he's really good, right? And um, what he does is he, he he explores a lot of old formats. Um, so uh, he's he's done a load of stuff. And this is actually really interesting. And I'm probably going to now prove myself wrong by saying something really not interesting. Um, he did a lot of stuff with... Because people think, don't they, that c- compact cassettes were quite bad sound quality. Yes. And he's done a lot of stuff where he's sort of, he's gone back to, you know, old formats. He's bought nice tape players and stuff like that. And he's proved that actually the sound quality of those little cassettes was really very good indeed. Like if if people had spent money on buy instead of buying a CD player, if they'd bought a high-end tape player, they would probably have had probably near 99% um, of the quality. And also... If you want analog, you know that is a that is as analog as it gets, right? And you know, uh, you know, studios aren't recording on records, are they? They're recording on reel-to-reel tapes. So what you've got there is a direct connection to, uh, you know, the the the, the studio, if you want, um, and and potential. If you go bigger than you know direct, you know, compact cassettes, then you can get to be- these beautiful reel-to-reel machines that look a lot better than a vinyl probably last a lot longer you know with with a bit of care as it's not quite as destructive as scratching a needle across stuff um and you know you've got this amazing potential sound quality so guys i want us all to go out and demand that sainsbury's immediately start stocking reel-to-reel copies of our favorite albums I would have to take issue with your use of the present tense for studios using reel-to-reel tape. <laughs> well, no, no, sure, uh, that's fine. Obviously, they don't do that anymore. And again, but that's sort of the point of, you know, that vinyl is an irrelevance because everything is created digitally now. Um, and, and so, you know, and saying oh, it's analogue, it's, like, it's not. It's never analogue. It's not analogue as soon as it hits the end of the microphone cable, it stops being analogue now. Let's, let's not forget the fact that when a studio is recording an artist, they are recording at an incredibly high resolution, way, way, way higher than what a CD quality is, like yeah. astronomically higher, you know, probably you know 96 kilohertz 192 kilohertz 24 bit 32 bit like enormous you can't deliver that realistically to a user via most digital means i mean certainly there are high res no. download services that you know tidal does to a certain extent but that's part of the reason why vinyl is still so cherished because it's able to convey a lot more of that data that detail that, well, it's, that it's actually able gets to give you cut an... out of a digital format it's able to give you an analog copy, uh, which uh, again, in, in, that only has a real relevance if it's not coming. I, I, I can see what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I'm, I, I feel like if you've got a CD, that is almost certainly better quality than vinyl, no matter what anyone says. And I understand that people want to hold a thing in their hand so they don't like downloads or whatever, um, and they like the size and the liner notes and all that kind of cack. Um, I. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just wish it wasn't like this. 
I just, I could, there are so many better ways of doing things. That could be Ian's tagline. I just wish it wasn't like this. Well, I mean, the thing is, it annoys me because people people are like, well, I'd, I'd like, you know, I want to own a record. I'm like, why? When everyone has turned down the opportunity for things like DVD audio and super audio CD. And those are formats that are absolutely stunning to listen to. But they are Blu-ray off- audio. But they offered very little in the way of convenience. That's why CD and digital downloads were so good, because they offered a good balance of convenience and quality. Vinyl doesn't offer the convenience, but it does offer the quality and a, and a higher quality. And, and also... Oh. Well, it's depending the first on the, time you play it. Depends on the equipment you're using as well. And this is true, true of digital music. If you're using, you know, if you download lossless audio format music and play it through your iPhone, which supports FLAC now, as well as Apple's lossless audio codec, um, but you listen through crappy headphones, then it's pointless. You might as well just be listening to regular downloads. But if you're using a vinyl on a good turntable with a decent amp with good speakers, that will sound better. I would say even objectively, but certainly I appreciate it's mostly subjective um, <laughs> than, than a CD would. Ultimately, um, music, like anything, is a product of how you feel. And if your feelings are altered by the process of opening a large record and holding it, then I guess who the hell am I to argue with that? Go for your guns. Now that I agree with. That is perfect. It's that exact sentiment is why Apple... For example, you know, when it's releasing a new product, will create loads of different types of boxes and packaging and then practice opening them to find oh, yeah. which one conveys the best initial feeling to support yeah. that thing. You know, it, it's why packaging and design of packaging is so important. It's like you food. Give, you, the first you bite give me a great idea eye. for a... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which I've always like, found to be a me... worrying mental image that, you know, the idea of a pupil growing teeth. <laughs> God but, almighty. Um what is it? What is it like in your head? Um, I've, you've now made me think of a great feature idea. Um, Good. Best best phone boxes. I need to go through all of the phone boxes and see which ones I like the most. I Samsung heartily, needs a shout out. I heartily hope you do do that, and I hope you do it this week because, as somebody who made wrote plug versus plug to such staggering degrees of success, I think you could do box versus box. I'm just um, pulling open the S8 box here, right? And it is nice. It's got an outer sleeve, uh, firm. It's a plastic sleeve. And then you open the box and then the box, where's the box? The box has a a slight resistance to it. It has a little tab. I'm opening it up now. Yeah, you know, I think Samsung gets it gets it pretty good, actually. Um, I, That's great. I feel like they really understand packaging. But Apple, of course, you know, unbox. I've done a couple of Apple unboxing videos um, because uh, I, need, I have someone who asked me to do them. Not because I think unboxings are the greatest thing in the world. But um, Apple, just unboxing an Apple device is so easy. Like, I keep, I keep getting my knife out and thinking that I need to cut packaging. You don't need to do that. It's just very nice and you it smells the, good too you were the kid at uh when at christmas you know you were given a a dog in a in a box and we're more excited by the box the dog came in than the dog that and- is all kids i i swear to you i've uh, some of the some of the happiest times my kids have had have been in boxes of stuff that's have been sent to me i i, I got sent um, an electric car a little a kid's electric car and they were as excited about the box it came in as they were about the electric car well, there you go. It's practical advice. Don't bother buying a car. Just buy your kids a box. Um, and absolutely, if you you know you can make a lot of cool stuff out of boxes like forts, and that's and it, you know then it breaks down at the end, and you can just 
recycle it. I look forward to that as your next blog on Forbes is what to do with a box once you've finished <laughs> enjoying it. Um, if you'd like to petition Ian to write Box versus Box for Forbes, uh, please do send that to me at podcast at natelangston.com. I will forward all of that to Ian and hope that he does create such a fantastic feature because we can talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. Just to wrap up our um, topic on Sainsbury's, the the interesting thing I found about all this is I went onto Sainsbury's website to search for vinyl and the only result that I got was a pack of Sainsbury's vinyl household gloves, a, f- a pack of 50 no less. Um, and I did a deeper search using Google and found one out of stock vinyl record player on Sainsbury's website. So to me, this clearly feels to be to me to be like it is an in-person availability. You know, you want to buy a record. So maybe they're they're saying this is this is for the market of people that still go to a supermarket which i admit is obviously a massive number of people as opposed to those who do all their shopping online digitally you know who who aren't maybe as interested in a physical audio format i don't know it, it was an observation that i had part of me wants to wonder whether it's a generational thing like the people who would go to a supermarket would also be the people that might um that vinyl might appeal to um but i somehow think that the numbers that still go to physical stores are probably too large to make that accurate but nonetheless it intrigued me that this was uh not available online at least now but let us know any thoughts you have podcast at natelangson.com well my uh bulging mailbag here (laughs) (laughs) needs diving into with um with uh, with with in earnest <laughs> you because put it again that's the second time this episode where you've not been able to complete your you know little intro all i've eaten today are four hovis brand scotch pancakes and let me tell you they do not give the brain the fuel it needs to perform podcasting to its highest potential tuna on top of them I should have made, but fish and scotch pancakes, it's like mustard on a chocolate bar. Um, we've got quite a lot of mail to get through um, this week. So thank you to everyone who's been sending it in. We, we've we actually had so much this week, we can't even get to it all. But we're going to do our best to tag team our way through this. And we have truncated some of the emails, so apologies in advance. Let's start with Richard Taylor, one of our beloved patrons. Hello, Richard, um, who wrote in regarding Amazon's home deliveries, which we talked about um, uh, on the previous show, either last week or, or the week before, but certainly very recently. Richard says, as someone who lives in the extreme rural countryside, uh, he puts in parentheses, part of the 5% who can't even get broadband of any kind, this is a rather unnecessary product. In the countryside, we tend to trust everyone. We leave our houses and cars unlocked at home, perfectly normal for visitors to come on in knock on the living room door rather than the front door it's already a regular occurrence to come home and find parcels on the kitchen table where the postman or delivery driver comes in puts them on the table and then drives on before you express complete horror please bear in mind in a rural setting if someone were coming all that way to burgle your house a locked door isn't going to stop them it will just cost them more to replace repair afterwards so it's much safer and cheaper to just leave things open and i have to say richard Although certainly in London, well, we're not, I don't live in London anymore, but where I live, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do this. I do remember that we did do this in back when when I was growing up in the eighties in in Rotherham near Sheffield. We would regularly leave uh, leave houses unlocked, and I, I'm vaguely sure I'm right in thinking that we once ran out of sugar and let ourselves into the neighbor's house and borrowed some sugar, left them a note saying we borrowed some sugar, and then we we replaced it later it was it was fine and to be fair it's also how i think our old siamese cat 
um, managed to drag a turkey out or a chicken <laughs> out of the neighbor's fridge and ultimately caused a divorce. But that's a story for another day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you want to hear that, write in, let us know. I'm not spending any more time on that. I'm just going to leave it hanging there like the <laughs> temptress that it is. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting point, uh, Richard. And I think that um, it, it's one that maybe some people are um, are aware of. Ian's tickled still. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way you celebrate. Oh, brilliant. Oh, good. <laughs> well, uh, Richard also says uh, he's waiting to order the iPhone 10 this evening. And that was at the time he wrote it. So I presume he has ordered it. Um, he reckons he's going to get one. So, uh, Richard, let us know, please, your thoughts on the iPhone 10 if you manage to get your hands on one for next week. Uh, voice recording is very welcome, of course, as is the case for any listeners who want to get their voice on the program. Just send us an audio file. Try and keep it under 60 seconds if you can. Um, I wanted to point that out in general that we would very happily play out recordings from anyone who wishes to get Yeah, we've never done there. that, have we? We have, but only a couple of times. Um, okay. But... Well, make sure, make sure they're recorded in 44 kilohertz a second or whatever. Yeah, 44.1 kilohertz, 16-bit. Uh, you can send it whatever way you want. Um, Sebastian wrote in, uh, also to talk about Amazon Key, he said one of his reservations would be the remote possibility of it getting hacked. Uh, if it would also replace your ordinary lock, then one better be sure one's phone doesn't run out of battery. Uh, a friend on social media mentioned he would instead install it to his shed rather than his yeah. home, which I think I'd be more inclined to do. Well, I said, why don't I just have a box? But, you know, not everyone has room for sheds and boxes. I don't have a shed anymore, so. No, I don't have a shed. I have a large garage. but I have a massive box, to be fair, in the, in the back garden that, that doesn't have a lock on it, but it could have a lock on it. And will that be going in box versus box this week? No, because that's uh, not a phone box. Don't be ridiculous. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, do you want to take John's uh, yeah, one sure. here? This uh, was on, I think this was on. This was on the. Uh, I think this might have been on the Patreon. Uh, one of the comments oh. on the Patreon this week. Okay, so John says uh, regarding the Amazon key topic, uh, we live in rented accommodation, so we'd have problems. Although our landlord is very accommodating. Uh, however, we have a porch that has two layers of doors. If we owned the house, this wouldn't be a problem for us, as deliveries could be left in the porch without anyone actually entering the house. I'd be quite tempted by this, although we generally have no problems with deliveries being left in a safe place next to our house. Uh, but I'd quite like this for the inclement months of the year. Yeah, and I thought that's a really interesting perspective because it made it made me wonder whether you could where you could whether you had to install it on a home door or if you could install it on a garage, which I think is what you know Sebastian's friend was was getting at yeah. earlier. I suspect it's more about um, making it easy for the drivers to find, and if they you know because a lot of garages are tucked away. Like my garage is on a completely different road, so um, you know it's kind of one of those things that it, it, you have to somehow explain it to them. Yeah. Well, Ben wrote in, long-time listener and big fan of the podcast, he says, thank you, Ben. I'm a student at UCL on a very business technology-focused course, and I thank and credit you guys for providing me with interesting things to talk about in class every week. We're very welcome, Ben. Um, very, very welcome. Maybe mention in your dissertation that you can support us at patreon.com <laughs> forward slash UK tech. Um, on that note, uh, Ben continues, I've been really enjoying a recent discussion about phones and tariffs. Well, I'm glad somebody did and thought you guys would be interested in looking into Geo. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly uh, because uh, Ben's writing a research project on it at the moment, which I'd love to send to you guys when I finish. Absolutely. Do send yep. that in. 
He says, uh, it's established last year by India's wealthiest man. It's laid over 250 kilometers of fiber optic infrastructure, facilitating 4G voice over LTE coverage throughout India, and has become the second largest mobile operator in the country with over 100 million subscribers in basically a year. Uh, fastest rollout of any company ever, Ben says. Moreover, they're giving away their phones for free, minus a small deposit, and have extremely cheap contracts with voice and text for free, unlimited 4G for 130th of the price of their nearest competitors 2g contracts that is amazing to me yeah and, I, and yes please do send in that research project because i've never heard of them it sounds amazing and i mean i don't even know how you could it's one of those things where it sounds too good to be true doesn't it Ian? yeah it does um but i i suppose if you're gonna go in for a like a, a project like that you need to be very you know when there's already incumbent companies doing the the thing you need to go in and be absolutely completely different in order to be a success and that's one of the reasons that three uh launched without uh, you know with a th just a 3g network originally because ultimately you have to do something different don't you in order to get some traction yeah and that's that naming choice is coming out to bite them now we're all talking about 5g does it really matter come on no do you want to take uh, but thank you ben for that email and uh, good luck with your studies and uh, yeah keep in keep in touch do you want to take daniel's uh, message yeah. here? it was a follow-up <clears> to my <throat> april column actually on patreon about using apple maps and i'm quite interested in this topic as well uh, i thought i'd update this as i've been using apple maps exclusively while driving around various u.s cities and i can say that it's much better than it was it gives very accurate lane guidance uh, information when driving on the freeway which is essential as the on-ramp and service road system make things much more convoluted than in the uk as a result i felt comfortable enough to remove google maps from my iphone interesting um, I would. Uh, I've driven in America, and I would absolutely agree with the sentiment that their freeways are a living nightmare of navigation. It is. It's a tough, tough thing to navigate, especially as they don't have any rules about lane use, so you can overtake in any lane, and it means that if you get stuck, you can really get quite badly stuck. Yeah, absolutely. It's. Uh, I mean, it's not something I've experienced personally because I don't drive. But I have seen videos of people driving on freeways, and uh, it's terrifying. In fact, I remember yeah. that a, a fantastic scene from the the classic Alicia Silverstone film Clueless, uh, <laughs> where they ended up on the freeway. And and man, did that look like a terrifying experience! Brown trousers all round, I think. Uh, Daniel, well, thank you for um, for that. I'm I'm glad that um, something I wrote in April was able to generate intrigue in November. It's pleasing to me to know that. Um, we had a couple of other emails, but frankly, we've we've talked so long about these. We're going to save those for next week. So if we haven't read out your message, it uh, either wasn't very good or uh, it's coming next week. So listen, <laughs> I, next the, week. The thing is, we read out. We almost all of the emails are good because we read so many of them, don't yeah, we? There aren't any we're not reading because they aren't any good. It's it's just yeah. because we've run out of time. Yeah. Um, but thank you to everyone for sending those in. Podcast at natelangson.com. That is where you can send your thoughts and feelings to in both written or audible form we welcome both with equal measure mr morris we uh, have uh, yeah we have concluded today's proceedings with uh with 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 great i think inspiration i'm happy it's, to it's say. been a good show i mean it's it's not been the most packed week because there's all the news has just been iphone this iphone that and then you know some pixel stuff broke and that's been basically it Yes. Well, we still managed to make an hour and nine minutes of uh, podcasting if you're listening to the uncut version. So my timer says here. So, you know, it's not been a terrible week. Oh, no. I, mean, I, I do think we make the best of a, a, a bad news week every time it happens. In fact, it, to be honest with you, some of my favorite shows are when it's been a fairly catastrophically bad news week. Cause yeah. 
I don't know. It just it, it gives you a slightly different set of stories to talk about, which makes it kind of interesting and a wide, broad sense of uh, uh, spread rather of of tangents to to go off on. And hopefully, we will get box versus box on Ian's blog. <laughs> but as I said, petition him via the podcast at natelangson.com email. Let's make it happen, people, and we'll see if it has next week. <laughs>